I'll be reading from the Gospel of Luke today. This is a new standard version, uh, Luke 21, verses 5 through 19. Let us hear God's word again this morning. When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, Jesus said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another, all will be thrown down. They asked him, Teacher, when will this be, and what will be the sign that this is about to take place? And he said, Beware that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name and say, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise up against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places of famines and plagues, and there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair on your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. Church, this is a word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty and merciful God, I ask that you hide me behind your cross so that we will focus on you this morning and not me. And may we encounter your Holy Spirits in our hearts today that renews our trust and commitment to you. Amen. A good friend of mine is a pastor, and he told me about this passage one day. He said, you know, Jesus did a horrible job leading the new member class. <laughs> right? It doesn't start with the promise of heaven, you know, the gift of eternal life, the joy of abundance, the free coffee out here in the narthex. He doesn't start with any of that, right? He starts with this horrible picture of the first disciples facing persecution, hatred, being on trial, potentially even death. In this story in Luke, Jesus knows that his days are numbered, and he is giving the disciples something that they can hang their hat on, and that is having this trust and commitment that God will be with them through these hard times. It is something that is important and it's something maybe we can't relate to because 
I don't know if any of us will lay our life on the line for our faith. Not that some people in other parts of the world do not. But there is a message for us today, let's don't forget. Because there is a time where our faith places demands on our life. There's a time and a place and a reality that our faith in Jesus places demands on our lives every day. When Jesus is teaching his disciples, they are walking through the temple. And the temple was this beautiful structure. It was a second temple that was refurbished by Herod the Great. He refurbished his sixth century building and made it this amazing, opulent thing of grandeur. It was this beautiful expression of, of, of who God is, but also Herod's desire to make things beautiful to build his own kingdom. The roof of it was adorned in gold. They had Roman infrastructure around the temple, although the insides of it stayed just like Solomon's temple, the right widths and cubits and all those different things. The disciples were in there, and they were like, wow, this is amazing. It was an obvious sign of success, an expression of power, an expression of something you can trust in. Likewise, we have a beautiful sanctuary, too, that's something that we give thanks for. Jesus is telling his disciples, you know, don't place your trust and hope in these obvious expressions of success and power. Place in them something eternal, something you may not can see today, something that lasts, however. He wanted them to be committed, even in hard times. A few weeks ago, we had the bazaar, and Lisa and I came to the pancake breakfast, right? Um, I, had, I had a plate that the United Methodist men made, and it had on their pancakes, and it had scrambled eggs and bacon. And I was reminded of that as I prepared the sermon this week, reminding me that the hen participates in breakfast, but the hog's committed. <laughs> it took some of y'all a little while, that's okay, right? <laughs> the hog's committed. Jesus wants us to not just participate in our faith every now and then. Jesus wants us to be committed. Committed to have this trust in God and who God is and trust in things we may not concede today. And that commitment to give, knowing that discipleship places demands on our lives. When he walks them through what happened in the temple, Jesus is trying to give them you know, a message of hope. You know, a message that I'm with you even in these hard times. He walks through that litany. I mean, you heard it, right? You will face suffering and you will face persecutions. Um, nations will rise up against nations. Things are going to happen and you're going to have a really challenge in front of you. Before that, right, he talked about this whole idea of nations and famines and earthquakes and, and Christ coming again. And we hear these things in Scripture. Whenever I read those things, I'm reminded of people who 
have this idea I can connect that to current events. You know, well, wow, there's a big earthquake this week. I remember that in Scripture. And that's true. But this text is really not supposed to be a decoder ring for us to say the end times are here. It's more to inspire and renew our faith. I remember my favorite cereal growing up was Lucky Charms, right? Um, it was my sugar cereal of choice. And I would get Lucky Charms. And sometimes there would be prizes in the cereal box. Has anybody ever got a prize in a cereal box before? Right? Yeah. Yeah, I said, yes, yes, Larry, thank you. Yes, that's right, we have. And one time I got a decoder ring, and I could use it to decode secret messages on the back of the Lucky Charms box. I thought I was all, like, incredible. Remember, this is before the Internet, okay, phones, anything, right? <laughs> long time ago, I thought it was amazing. I think we can jump into this text, and we can think, let's get my decoder ring out and connect this to what I saw on that news event, and this to what I read in the paper, and this to that. And Jesus says, nobody knows the day or time that will happen. I don't even know it. So this text is not so much about that as it is about the world is broken. Right? The world is broken. There's famines, there's earthquakes, there's violence, there's wars. The world is broken. And our faith doesn't tell us to run away from those situations. Our faith demands that we engage in those situations. Our faith demands that we engage in those places and spaces. The world is broken and we're called to engage in that. And how do we do that? How do we have that trust and confidence that we'll do that? Like what renews our hope? When Jesus tells us, like he told his disciples, hey, don't pay attention to all the stuff that happens. Just focus on what I call you to do. And then when you're brought on trial, don't worry about what you will say or do, right? Don't worry about it. I will give you a word, right, that nobody can contradict or push back on. And what's implicit in that is the Holy Spirit. It's implicit there because it's explicit throughout Luke. The Holy Spirit will be with you. Don't worry about it. I'll give you something to say that will be just amazing. Nobody can refute. Of course, when I read that, I think that's not like any attorney movie or TV show I've ever seen, right? You prepare a defense, you know, whether it was Matlock or whether it was Allie McBeal, whether it's L.A. Law or the Lincoln Lawyer, right? Atticus Finch, it doesn't matter. You're always supposed to prepare what you say. You're always supposed to be able to do that. But Jesus says here, look, the Holy Spirit will guide you and help you. You can depend on this. That same Holy Spirit guides us and directs us when we engage in the places and spaces in the world that's broken. It might be places and spaces in your family. It might be in Wake Forest. It might be in Roseville. It might be in Raleigh might be in the world. But we know that we have that ability to renew our trust and commitment in God, especially through acts of worship. As a church, as leaders, as your pastor, my prayer is every Sunday that we encounter God through the Holy Spirit and worship. That's my prayer. You know, I don't pray for a great sermon. 
I don't pray for amazing music. You know, I don't pray for the sound system to go perfect. I don't pray for that kind of stuff. My prayer is that all of us, through all that we do, we have an encounter with God in worship. So we are renewed in the Holy Spirit, and our trust in God is renewed, and our commitment to God is renewed. And why does all that matter? Because, as you heard verse 19 say, there are souls at stake. Our souls and somebody else's soul. There are souls at stake. This matters because our faith places demands on our life. The same courageous hope that Jesus inspired his early disciples with to go through all this hardship and struggle led them to have that faith to do that. Some were martyred. Some were arrested. But they told the story of our faith. And somebody they told told somebody else. And then somebody else told somebody else. And then somebody told you about our faith. And our job as a church is to keep telling the story of our faith to each other, to people we meet, to the children that God brings to us. We continue to tell that story through things we say and through things that we do. The Holy Spirit calls us and Christ demands that we engage and we give because our faith places demands on our life. One of my favorite writers was a fellow named Frederick Beekner, and he wrote a story early on in his life when he was younger. He was at a holiday dinner, and a friend called him who was in dire straits, you know, at, at this point of life falling apart. And he got up and excused himself from his holiday dinner and missed, and missed the turkey and missed the pumpkin pie and left. And in his memoir, he wrote about how angry how angry his mom was at him for leaving that dinner. She planned it. She prepared it. She was looking forward to seeing him. And while he gave her grace in that moment, he also wrote, these are the kind of decisions we make when souls are saved or lost. Maybe it was a friend he helped, or maybe it was his own, because faith places demands on our life. Lisa and I had a horrible thing happen earlier this year. At 2 a.m. in the morning, I called a friend who came over right away. I called another friend who came over right away. Faith places demands on our life. Years ago in college, when I worked for the Appalachia Service Project, this mission project in the Appalachia Mountains, I was on summer staff. We had a house that needed a new well. Their well was messed up. And we didn't have money to, to drill a well. And there was a man at a church from Indiana. He said, y'all need to drill a well for them, Jim. I said, yes, sir, we don't have money. <laughs> so, I'm so sorry. You're right. And he went home. Two weeks later, he showed up at our center with a check in his pocket to drill a well. Faith places demands on our life. We have a group in our church called United Against Racism. That group explores, you know, are the things that have formed and shaped me that help me continue 
any practices of systemic racism. They look into their hearts and souls about that because faith makes demand on our life. We're all called to give financially. There's times in life we can't when we're in economic hardship. But outside of that, we're all called to give financially. Even me, we're called to give. Somebody asked me recently, can I just give time instead of money to the church? Because I feel like that's fair. And when I said that's between you and God, but I can't find that in Scripture. But, I, but I'm open for you to show me. Because I don't know everything. Faith places a demand on our life. We may not be like the first disciples who were called in this one dramatic moment to give all. I think it's more likely that our faith demands us to do something day after day, week after week, as we follow Jesus. 